Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well and finding ways to thrive this week. I so miss seeing you all and being together with you and can't wait till we're able to do that uh, back in person. You know, the events of last week when our country and the world watched another difficult video of a young black man being shot and killed led me to reflect on and and think about my own experiences and perceptions around race. And growing up in a fairly homogenous environment as a child, I went to elementary school every morning and we stood earnestly placing our hands over our hearts and we recited the Pledge of Allegiance and said as one, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And as a a boy, I didn't question the truth of those notions. The narrative that I grew up within was that this was unequal, perhaps at one point in our history. You know, our founding fathers found these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal. But in school, we learned that maybe they they said one thing and did another. But the perception was that we kind of righted those wrongs. We created a more perfect union. The Emancipation Proclamation, the Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, and the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And those inequitable realizations of liberty and justice for all. Those were things of the past. And now the narrative went, we need to get over it and move on. To continue talking about racial injustice, it seemed, was to be dealing out guilt toward the majority and victimization to minorities. This was the water that I swam in as a child. And I didn't really question it until adolescence, when I went to a vastly more diverse high school and found myself in a friend group where two of my closest buddies were Hispanic and Black. And as we grew in friendship over those four formative years in my life, they started periodically challenging those suppositions and asking me questions or pressing on or sharing experiences that um, made me reevaluate the normal that I knew. What I began to experience and hear from them, I found much later in life so well articulated in this book, and I want to recommend it to you. It's called Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. And I just want to read a little excerpt to you. Here's what she described of her own formative years as a black woman. They, speaking of those in the majority, didn't have any understanding of the prevalence of police brutality against brown bodies in our country, or how so many of my black brothers are pulled over simply for being black in a white neighborhood. They equated working hard with success, and they dismissed the reality of systemic issues that create barriers for people of color. They'd never been followed in a department store for being black, never been stopped in question simply for walking down the street. They had always been given the benefit of the doubt, believed to be innocent until proven guilty. They couldn't see the privileges they enjoyed simply because of the rules set by white society. The author hauntingly clearly voices what was my inner reality, my normal growing up. 
Galatians chapter 6 teaches, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these two sum up the law and the prophets. You could call this the law of Christ and the way we live it out, the way we realize and fulfill it in community together is by bearing one another's burdens. I found that doing that over the years of adult life in church community, it's easier for the burdens I see and validate, the burdens that I recognize, whether I feel them, I can see them as a burden and they're indisputably clearly burdensome, right? Harder for burdens you can't see and burdens that aren't equally realized, understood, or validated. But Martin Luther King famously said, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. And knowing these burdens, now I can't unknow them. And we as a community coming to realize the subtler, this more subjective and under the surface burdens, as well as the overt ones, we can't not know them. And there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Denver United had its origins on the foundation of John chapter 17. Jesus prayed one prayer for us, and I've told you this many times, the future of the church who would go on to bear his name and accomplish his mission. It wasn't that we would be loving. It wasn't that we would be doctrinally pure or holy, though undoubtedly he wanted these things. What he prayed for us was that we would be one. And in our unity, the world would see the gospel lived out and on display, a picture of Jesus' redemptive work, the kingdom coming into being. And I think maybe Jesus prayed that for us because he knew that of all of the challenges of living out the law of Christ, this might be the most difficult, the most fraught with pitfalls and potholes, the most combated way. This is the way Jesus has called us, though, to be, to work out our salvation and to model the kingdom to a world that's in search of hope, whether they know to call it Jesus or not. This morning, I want to talk to us about the hard work of unity. Colossians chapter 3 is where I want to look for a text. In verse 10, Paul writes, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Jesus, as we talked about during Passion Sunday week, Jesus renewed all things. He began a restoration when He died on the cross, righted the wrong, satisfied God's justice, and then, as firstborn from among the dead, set us about the work, following in his wake, of making all things new. That's the kingdom. In this new life, Paul continues, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. And I think as a young adult and uh, even into my ministry years, I presumed that what that meant was kind of what Bono got at when he sang this years ago, uh, I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one. That heaven was like all of us, let's all agree and do it my way. Let's all just kind of blend together so the colors, the races, the differences among us, they'll go away. And that's God's ideal endgame. But that's not what he meant. He goes on to say, Christ lives in all of us. And since God chose you 
and you, and you, to be the holy people collectively that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Figure out what Jesus' character means for living in relationship compassionately with one another. No, it's salvation that's universal. There's no longer a hierarchy of access to God's grace. Jesus said that he came and died for all of us. For God so loved the world, every race, tongue, language, and nation, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the, if there be any any homogeny, it was that, right? But my early understanding of unity was uniformity. I was told, and it was easy and convenient to believe, that we would be the first colorblind generation. Scripture, though, gives us a more complex and challenging vision for God's kingdom. In Revelation chapter 7, the Apostle John got a glimpse of God's endgame, what the kingdom would look like, and he said, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Now they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they shouted with a great roar together, salvation comes from our God and from the Lamb on the throne. It's salvation that is indicated metaphorically by all of their white robes. That's what they had in common. But notice what John saw at the end state. It wasn't that everybody was sort of one neutral color. He saw them in the kingdom come according to their races, ethnicities, languages, nations, tribes, tongues. He saw them in all their glorious differences as God created us to be. Collectively, unified by salvation and restoration in Christ, individual in who God made us to be. That's what the kingdom looks like. The work of unity then, friends, it's not the simple-minded work of conformity to a homogenous Jesus who looks European, who looks like the majority culture. God is inviting us to engage, friends, in reconciliation. The Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that Jesus reconciled us to God and gave us this ministry, this assignment of reconciliation. God's inviting us to engage this reconciliation work and to show the world that racial unity is possible in Christ. And so today and for the next few weeks, we're going to talk plainly and openly with an, an aim toward Jesus' humility and compassion on the subject of race, justice, and unity. We at Denver United hold out unity as our chief value. And we're going to look over the next few weeks at what unity really means. I want to start here this morning. Unity means attuning to the realities of the racial divide in our country and to our personal racial literacy. Unity means foremost attuning to the realities of the racial divide in our country and then to our own personal place of racial literacy. And to do that, we've got to slow the train, take personal inventory, and rethink our approach to this conversation. First Peter chapter 3 teaches, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, get in each other's mind and heart, try to understand what it means to have come from, to have come up in what each other has. 
what it means to be one another, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and above all, keep a humble attitude. And to do this work of unity, we must approach it that way. We must approach the conversation with humility foremost. Romans chapter 12 tells us what that looks like. Live in harmony with each other, it says. And Romans 12 is all about life together in Christ. What it means to be the family of God, working through the challenges that are inherent therein. And it says, live in harmony with each other. And do this, don't think you know it all. Now, I don't think many of us overtly would hold ourselves out as knowing it all. We would say generally, yeah, I don't know it all. But when it comes to conversations that press on our presumptions, our deep files, we might act in a way that belies a different inner truth. I'm not looking to cast aspersions or throw judgment your way. But let me say this for myself. I, for one, I I don't know it all. On the subject of racial unity, I don't know what it feels like to have been treated with needless aggression at a routine traffic stop. I don't know what it feels like to have been not so subtly followed up and down the aisles of the Walgreens. I don't know what it feels like to have my parents have to teach me how to dress when I go out for a run or how to behave when I'm stopped with a routine traffic stop. All I learned was when you're pulled over, actually stop. Don't go like vigilante dukes of hazard. I don't know what it feels like to have been taught how to carry myself so as not to make anyone perceive a threat in me because of my race. And friends, as we see and begin to own these things, we in the majority recognizing that we don't know it all and we don't know very much about what it means to be others and what experiences you might have had. I think humility also asks us to be patient with one another, to bear with each other's slowness. If we can only have this conversation with one another who are black belts in racial unity, then the vast majority of of us in the church are left either to fake it or to say, man, I I don't got this. I'll, I'll let you guys figure it out. If we can only have the conversation with those who are woke, that leaves the vast majority of the church unwoke. We have to be patient with one another. That's also what humility looks like. Romans chapter 12 also teaches, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. This is what it looks like to live in harmony with one another. If we want to be in unity as a family, we've got to understand, strive to feel what others feel, to be happy for them, even if we don't get why they're rejoicing or it doesn't make us joyful, to mourn with those who mourn, even if what gives them grief doesn't give us grief or we don't get why it makes them sad. That's empathy. And that's what this conversation is going to require, approaching it with humility and also with empathy. In Philippians chapter 2, the Word of God asks, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Are you figuring out or do you think you got what it takes to live with one another? Well, then be humble and think of others 
just for a little while, maybe as you enter tender spaces. Think of others as better than yourselves. Let others be the big deal for 10 minutes. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. It goes on to describe in Philippians 2, Jesus who set an example for us to follow. Jesus who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, something to hold on to. He laid that aside and got in our space, walked in our shoes, lived in our world. And what he's modeling for us is empathy. I know you know what you know. I know I think what I think, but can we approach a conversation with empathy where we willingly lay aside what we think for a few minutes and try to understand what somebody else thinks, how they feel, where they might be coming from? That's what this conversation is going to take. In James chapter 1, it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. To live in family means this. You must be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Stephen Covey memorably put it this way as one of his seven habits of highly effective people. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. And lastly, this conversation is going to ask us to approach one another with humility, with empathy, and also with intellectual honesty. And I want to ask as gently as I can, can we approach racial unity this way? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You and I have been given intellectual wholeness by Jesus. This is part of our birthright in Christ, our inheritance as God's sons and daughters. And we want to think this through that way, with a sound mind and intellectual honesty. What does that mean? What is, how does that play out? It means this. Let's think for ourselves. Let's not outsource our thinking on this subject to cable news or social media or the endless stream of memes that reduce complex issues to simple pithy one-liners. Let's think for ourselves. And above all, let's let the gospel form our conscience. We're being formed by Christ and our minds are informed by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit and the gospel inform your conscience and not what your political party or your friends on Facebook say. And above all, friends, can we resist the pull to polarize this subject, to politicize it? We've all seen how that plays out. On a cable news talk show in the evening, you've got two passionate, articulate people, and in seven minutes they sit on opposite sides of a split screen and throw their talking points and their party lines at one another, and they only pause to take a breath and wait for the other to do the same before jumping in. Have you ever seen anybody on a cable news talk show program three or four minutes in go, you know what, hold on, I think you're right. I'm... Actually, I've been wrong, and, and, and I see your point of view, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and think about that. I'm going to rethink my life. You know what? Can we just go to commercial, Alex? Because I, I think that maybe I'm changing my mind. Nobody ever did that. That forum doesn't lead to change. It leads to division. And Jesus called us to bridge that division, to fight against it with unity and compassion and humility and love. This is an easier challenge to talk about than to live out. But friends, I believe God has called us and is equipping us to live it out together. So we're going to begin 
a conversation that will in turns be clunky and courageous and leave us vulnerable. But this is Jesus at work in us. And this is what the gospel looks like. And so this morning, I've asked a dear friend to join me to begin that conversation, a friend who needs no introduction here. Darius, my brother, how are you? I am doing so well, man. How are you? Doing good, as well as can be in these crazy times. Yes, man, indeed. Great, great message. Thanks for uh, the courage to venture into this space. Yeah, well... Jesus set us an example, and our choice is either to follow or not, right? Um, You know, we've had a conversation ongoingly uh, in multiple installments over years of friendship about the dynamics that uh, we're talking about today. And I'm curious, would you be willing to share how have you experienced race and justice in America? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I think there, there's several things that come to mind when I think about my experience of race and justice in America. Uh, but, but I think the word that probably captures my experience with race in America is painful. Mm. And I, I say painful for several reasons. And that's not to say that I'm not, that there, there aren't ways that I'm, that I'm incredibly proud of our country and the, the progress we've made in some ways. Uh, but overall, if I was to put my experience kind of cumulatively in, into in, into one package, it would be painful. That would be the word that I would use to describe it. And here's why um, for me, Rob, is it, it's it's painful to to think about to, to think about the truth that man, not even a hundred years ago, uh, we wouldn't be doing this. Like we quite literally, it would have been not just unpopular, but it would have been against the law for a black man and a white man to be interacting uh, in this way. Mm. It it would be, it's painful to think that uh, in that same time frame, we couldn't have it as a, as a, as a black man, I couldn't have the same job you had that my ancestors and and, and my great grandparents uh, couldn't drink from the same water fountains or attend the same schools or live in the same communities. That's painful. That's a painful reality. And then I would say the other reason why it's painful is because if you fast forward into the year 2020, right, several several years later, uh, it's painful to think that my reality, my current reality as a as a as a middle aged man, soon to be middle aged man. No, nah, bro, you're middle aged. You got to own that thing. <laughs> I got to own it, right? <laughs> That, that, that I've got to have conversations and not need to have, I'm sorry, not want to have, but that I need to have conversations with my children mm-hmm. about the color of their skin and, and how that will, in, in some cases in our country, pr- propose limitations to how people perceive you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's painful. Uh, it's painful to see, to wake up last week to the news of, a young man running in his neighborhood, something as simple as running in your neighborhood, going on a job that any American, any human for that matter, should be able to do. Uh, and, and he gets profiled because of the color of his skin. That's painful, man. And, and, and not just profiled, but he gets brutally murdered. And I could go, I mean, I could literally spend 10, 12, 15 minutes talking about experiences in this country uh, that 
that depict that level of brutality uh, and injustice. And then when I think about the word justice, you know, my experience with justice in our country is I think the, the word that comes to mind is inconsistent. You know, I, I think at the start of your message, you, you, you talked about um, how we used to in school, in class, do the Pledge of Allegiance, right? With liberty and justice for all. I don't see that lived out in our country. I don't see that lived out consistently in our country. From time to time, you do see it, right? And that's what provides a measure of hope. But I mean, I long for a day where that is a consistent practice across the board uh, for our justice system. That justice isn't attached to uh, your socioeconomic status or the color of your skin, but justice is a byproduct of being an American citizen. Mm -hmm. I don't see that lived out across the board, which creates a level of disappointment, uh, deep disappointment, not just a level of disappointment, but deep disappointment for a person and a man of color uh, looking at the landscape of our country. Mm. Bro, hearing you say that, my heart just aches. You know, my years of looking at you like a, a real flesh and blood brother and your boys and my boys friendship and I'd like to say, man, I, I can imagine, I can imagine how you felt, but I mean, the truth is I, I can't totally imagine. I mean, I can kind of imagine as a dad with boys, the fear and the, the anxiety around sending them out into the world. Um, but, but I, like I walked through a, a half finished house in my Washington park West neighborhood last week without giving the first thought to whether my neighbors were going to arm themselves and arrest me, right? Uh, you jog all the time. You're like Captain Fitness. And I confess when I heard that story, I thought of you out jogging. Uh, and, and I can't imagine fully what that has to feel like. Yeah, I mean, I, thank you, bro. I mean, one, you're, you're right. The, the, thing that, the thing that makes me hopeful around where we are as a country. You know, when I got the news of, of Ahmad's killing, I, I thought about my daily routine as well. Not daily, but maybe three times a week. Um, I wish it was daily, but I thought about my routine as well. And I thought, man, for, for a second there, what if what if I was in that predicament? What if, what if a, a robbery had just happened in the community that I live in and two people took it upon themselves, two or three people took it upon themselves to take justice in their own hands? It's too, it's too much of a reality right now in our country, man. And, and so here's the thing that makes me hopeful. The thing that makes me hopeful is conversations like this. The thing that makes me hopeful are people like, you, friendships like the one we share, friendships that push against the, the, the proverbial grain, if you will, friendships that uh, defy the odds of, hey, you're white, I'm black, we're from two different, you know, we, we were raised differently, we're from two different sides of the, of the track, and we shouldn't be friends. But the truth of the matter is, there is more, that, that we have more in common than we do, than we don't. And this is what makes me, this, this posture that I've seen in the body of Christ over the last three weeks, 
as this has progressed, the posture of, of, of our white brothers and sisters willing to not stand, willing to not stay silent, rather, willing to speak up and not just speak up, but, but, but not willing to, to stay silent around this. I, I've, I have been so encouraged by that. But here's what I would say to that as well. May it not be that it takes a, another one of these instances, right? May it not be that we wait for another news cycle or another murder or, or another injustice to happen, but may this kind of dialogue, may this kind of interaction become a part of our, of our, of our daily lives. You know, I, I think what, what we're doing right, right now is exactly the thing. The posture that I've seen my white brothers and sisters take is exactly the posture that I think is needed every day of our lives. And live, our, our lives are lived in, in moments, in, in days, in daily moments, not, not you know, big picture, massive, uh, massive shootings. And we don't live our lives in that way. We live our lives in the moments, in the days. Mm -hmm. And in the days, man, may we lean into uh, empathy. May we lean into the uncomfortability of having a relationship that looks so different than anything we're used to, but someone who looks a lot different than we look. Mm. Bro, thanks for sharing that. It takes a lot more courage for you to say that than for me. Um, I, can't, I told you, I, I can't totally imagine what it feels like being you, um, going out for a run, sending your boys out into the world. Um, but, but I want to, like, I want to be able to, and thanks for helping me learn to be able to. And I think that's what we do in the family of God. Right. And that's why, um, we seek first to understand. We don't have to agree with everything or understand everything or right. feel what one another's feeling, but, um, to be able to, to try and share it. Uh, I think that's, that's where reconciliation begins. Yeah. You know, you're talking about, um, about the approach that has given you hope. Um, empathy, empathy isn't like a light switch that we just turn on. Right. Empathy is a muscle that we exercise and develop. Like no one goes to the gym and they're like, one time they're like, I'm good, man, I'm ripped. You know, it takes, it takes time and intentionality. Um, and, and, and I'm thinking about how we can, as a church family, develop our empathy muscles, grow them further. Lots of us are on this journey in different ways in our lives, within our families and within our church family is a natural next step. Uh, here we're, we're trapped at home. Most of us, are, are, our social lives have shrunk. Um, you and I, among the many things we have in common, um, are you know, that we're, we're both movie buffs. And there aren't a whole lot of new movies coming out right now. And so for our family movie nights, uh, we've had to dig into the deep files. Well, we in, in our home have started looking for some uncommon movies, at least uncommon for us, movies that mm -hmm. that feature people and events that aren't familiar or aren't as, as natural to us, right? Um, well, could you could you recommend a couple of movies for some like some empathy training? Like we want to go to the gym for empathy and we in the majority want to want to get in the world of somebody who, who approaches life from a different perspective. Where would you yeah. be? Heck yeah. Um, it, movies, I think movies that enable and allow us to see life from a different perspective 
are, and specifically, I think from the African-American side of the equation, I would say um, hidden figures. Mm. I would say uh, glory is probably one of my favorites. Oh. Um, I would say... Uh, Did you see that? Years Slave is, is a, it's an intense... Uh, picture and so if if you're probably on the the um, if this isn't a new conversation to you and you're ready to dive in somewhat of the deep end, Twelve Years a Slave is your movie. So that's like your Black Diamond recommendation. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a Green Circle recommendation. Probably probably wrong choice of illustration. Black Diamond. <laughs> See, there's there's my majority bias coming through. <laughs> Just kidding. That's messed up, man. <laughs> no, but yes, I would say yes. That that's your definitely. Okay. More did you see? Did you guys see the help? What do you think about that for that? Oh, I love the movie. I love yeah. the movie. It was so I mean, it, for my family. There's a whole perspective yeah, it, it, that right under our noses. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a it's a great movie. But I mean, it, there's there is a, a long laundry list of, of movies that I, I think um, could be beneficial as as you engage in this kind of conversation. You said something in your message, you know, don't outsource. Uh, what were the words you used? Uh, yeah, essentially don't outsource your thinking to yeah. cable news or social media. I love that. You know, and I think beyond movies, books, same thing. I mean, mm. again, so much of the arts uh, enables us to, to grow and to learn. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things that I, I, I value about our relationship and some of my, so many of my my other friends, some of, some of you are watching. Some of the things I value about my white friends is that they they choose not to make me their, their their sounding board. Like, okay, I've got I've got I've got this black friend, and I can ask this friend every question that I want to about race. So you're saying that it's not sustainable for you to be the black angel on a thousand of our shoulders? <laughs> no, I get no, it. Just I, I can imagine how that would feel. I mean, that yeah, I can. Just this, that's right. kind of awesome. the same as, as you, as one of my white friends. I don't, I don't prioritize asking you everything about white culture because that's not your responsibility. It's really mine to learn. And so yeah, that's, folks, great. that's good coaching. That's really practical. That's helpful. I feel like we could have this conversation for hours more. We have. We will. We're just getting started. Hey, everybody, want to refer you to two resources. One is our podcast, uh, and we've started a series called Clunky Conversations on Unity and Race because to have the conversation is to have it go clunky sometimes. And that's yeah. something that you have taught me to be able to embrace, you know, like me talking about the black <laughs> slopes of uh, – of of diverse movies. I was just kidding. Yeah, I know. You just like to bust my chops is what you do. Eh? You get me to squirm. Uh, but that's one, the, the podcast, check that out. And then the second is our family night, Wednesday night at seven. We're modeling more of this conversation with leaders in our congregation from across the racial spectrum and, uh, and stages of life as well. And I think that'll be great modeling for, for a framework of how, what to talk about and then more importantly, how to talk about it. It's time for us to wrap up. Uh, would you pray for us? Would you just pray a blessing over our church family before we close? Absolutely. We'd love to. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we think about your heart and how you in Ephesians 2 declare that you have broken down the walls of hostility, the work of Christ, 
the sacrifice of Jesus has broken down the walls of hostility uh, and it's made us one in Jesus. And so that is my prayer uh, this, this morning is that my friends, everyone watching, that we would recognize that truth that in Jesus we're one and we are living out uh, that reality today. That we are people of reconciliation. That reconciliation is the mandate. It's the anointing that you've given us. And so I pray for a special anointing of, of, of grace, of wisdom, of courage. I pray that you would you would help us to become uncomfortable. I'm comfortable being uncomfortable mm -hmm. in these conversations. Thank you for my friends. We pray your blessing on this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Darius, thank you, everybody. God bless you. We love you so much, and we'll see you next Sunday. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 